Asset Radio. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Keel Guard Studios. Aaron, here we go with another episode of Bass Edge Radio. Maybe the uh, back-to-school edition here, September 1. You know, a lot of people, Aaron, like to talk about the fall arriving, you know, when school begins and, you know, everything kind of starts shifting focus. Starbucks are selling the pumpkin spice coffee already. You know, you're starting to get some of these fall marketing ideas. But, dude, it is still blazing hot. I was going to say that that pumpkin spice coffee is a little early for me because our pumpkins are a little parched right now in Missouri being 95 (laughs) degrees. But you are correct. School is in session. And, uh, yeah, it's just uh, the changing of the photo period days are getting shorter. But the air temperature is certainly pretty hot. And speaking of stuff that's hot, Kurt, is the uh, the Bass Edge apparel that is with MegaWare Keelguard on the side. And of course, all things Bass Edge brought to us by our partners and friends at MegaWare Keelguard. Be sure to put on the protection that pros pick, and that is MegaWare Keelguard. Visit them at keelguard.com. So Kurt, you've had a little bit of an interesting time of year because not too many days do you get to just uh, not be traveling, right? Not be, uh, I don't know if you want to call it an off season because I don't think there is such a thing, but you've been kind of held up north for a little while. I have been, you know, uh, we, we've got a little place up here where my wife grew up in Pennsylvania and we've been hanging out. I've been, you know, checking out that title championship. I was a great event with MLF, the pro circuit title championship and, uh, you know, working the uh, Hayabusa angles. But man, I am I am ready to get back to Texas. And actually, as soon as we shut this interview down, I am on the road. So uh, we're going to get back into some of that heat and uh, kind of kick off into that fall transition. But Aaron, I want to talk real quickly about that title championship up there in Wisconsin on the Mississippi River, uh, you know, heavily attended, uh, I say uh, heavily used venue uh, up there over the last several years between BASS and MLF, Pool 7, 8, and 9. What an event that went down, Jimmy Washam taking the title. Yeah, I mean, to, to hear kind of the story there, didn't buy his first fiberglass bass boat, I think, until five or six years ago. You know, I, I believe he worked in the in the sheriff's department, and, and lo and behold, on the last final day, you know, he pulls up to a spot, local line. The guy gives way to him, comes back as a spectator after that, and, and come to find out he was also part of the sheriff's department. So, you know, when things are meant to be, what a great story. And to see him kind of take home that title was was just really, really cool. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how Jimmy decides to move forward with his fishing career, right? Um, you know, he I'm not sure how decisions. long. <laughs> I would agree. You know, I'm not sure how long he is in his uh, sheriff's department, you know, role. If he's been there, you know, five years or 15 years. But uh, when you win a big event like that, uh, he was real close to qualifying for the Bass Pro Tour this year, and I'm sure that's on his mind. I heard him talk about that. He's going to have some decisions to make to how he wants to to move forward, man. Guy's a pickwick hammer. I was actually talking to uh, James Nigemeyer, a friend of Bass Edge, and and talking a little bit about that Toyota Championship that's coming up in October down there on uh, Lake Pickwick. And that is Jimmy Washam's wheelhouse. Uh, if you look at his stats, man, he catches them down there. So he's got another big event where he could make some noise. It's going to be interesting and, yeah. and fun to watch. Uh, let's talk about the dynamic of that event a little bit real quick, Aaron. River levels, very low, maybe the lowest that we've seen a big national tournament ever fish there on the Mississippi River. Current still played a role. 
needed that current, you know, to, to really find those fish, to get them ganged up. But the river kind of fished as a lake a little bit this time around. And yes, Kurt, and my understanding is, you know, uh, like you, we're, we always talk about decisions, right? Making decisions and, and Jimmy's decision to kind of go into a backwater, pull off of an area where he'd been catching them and feeling kind of like that that area had, had exhausted itself and then going into and finding that little rock ridge that he did there at the mouth. Um, I, I would agree. And, and when you have low water, um, like they had, and like we have talked about many, many times of changing water levels, you know, you have to make those adjustments and sounds like he made the absolute right adjustments heading into that final day. Absolutely. Jack, the biggest bag. I mean, how confident Bobby Lane finished second at 16, three quarter pounds that last day. Jimmy Washam had 17 and three quarter. And uh, how confident though do you think Bobby was coming in, you know, knew he had uh, what was probably going to be the largest sack of the event and then jimmy comes in with even bigger bag it was a great way in man it was oh. really exciting the whole process and how he picked up on that was when he you know checked that area he put his trolling motor down the trolling motor backwash went up on the rock ridge there it caused the shad to swirl and he watched a bass come up and eat the shad and that's what he you know he picked up the the top water and went to work i mean that uh you know that's that's awareness that's being in the present moment yeah absolutely and you know we've also mentioned this time it's when it's your time it's your time i remember he was fighting a very nice uh, large mouth there and it got kind of hung up on something in the channel when it, when he was fighting the fish and it came free and Jimmy was just absolutely speechless but uh, and I was also surprised I want to say real quick that uh, the smallmouth man there was a lot of smallmouth caught in that event uh, more than I've ever seen on a Mississippi River event and uh, man what a great fishery catch largemouth on a frog catch some smallmouth out in the current it's a, it's just a cool place to fish so a uh, big shout out to uh, Jimmy Washam and that whole process and we got a great show lots more to discuss but first we're gonna have the angler tackle tip brought to us by protecttheharvest.com y'all stay tuned we're gonna have a great time here with bass edgery this episode's protecttheharvest.com tackle tip with mlf bbt pro jacob wheeler Man, this is a great time of the year to be throwing a buzz bait. One of my favorite. And, and the thing about a buzz bait is you can cover so much water. You know, personally, I throw an accent, uh, my super serious buzz bait. And the key with that, you hear a lot of people talk about throwing a toad on your buzz bait. But one thing that I try to start to transition to this time of year is when they're really feeding on small bait, is start to throw a soft plastic with a skirt on there. I've seen throughout the years that putting a soft plastic on your, as a trailer, on your buzz bait um, just gets uh, has it to where those fish can actually get the bait a little bit better and so what i'm trying to do with that is really mimic the size of the bait when they're eating small threadfin shad which they do a lot this time of year i will throw a small craw trailer like a cracking craw from grouping baits um, i tend to not throw a swim bait because what happens is that buzz bait sometimes will lay on its side you have to tune it so a swim bait can be good but I like to have something that has two appendages coming off of it to where it actually sits a little bit lower in the water and allows those fish to come up there and get it. And you can get as big or as small as you want. Um, the first thing that I will definitely do is cut the skirt down a substantial amount. You're gonna cut it up all the way to the hook so it's really short, and then ultimately put that trailer of your choice on that bait and on that buzz bait, and that's gonna be really the key in generating those strikes. Matching the hatch is always something that you're gonna to wanna to try to do, and that's why this is one of the best time of year to actually do that. Jacob, awesome tip. Brought to you by protecttheharvest.com. 
first by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Kurt, often we uh, talk a lot about Jay Kumar and, of, of course, Bass Blaster, the, uh, the nice email that comes out a few times a week, dropped right in, the, in your inbox with a lot of uh, just really good, educational, entertaining information. Uh, this particular time, a little different vibe because it saddens me. You know, we lost a, a legend, and Jay Absolutely. did a fantastic write-up on, on Lonnie Stanley. Of course, we're, that's who we're talking about, five-time Bassmaster Classic qualifier from that East Texas area. And Yeah, and just the lure manufacturing, yeah, right? right? It's crazy. All the, uh, in, I don't want to know about inventions, but but things he brought to this bass fishing industry. Yeah, and you, you know, when you, you think about his contribution and how many people and generations he touched um, through that, um, like, like we said, not only a a competitor, but just really a, a, I don't know if you want to call it innovator, you know, somebody that took our industry quantum leaps, but um, certainly we remember him and, and kind of his family. And uh, th- there's a, there's a bit of a void now in the bass fishing community. Absolutely. Aaron, I, I recall, you know, reading through Bass Blaster and, and then that whole write up and, and a lot of great links that Jay provided throughout that process. And if you haven't seen that, you can get it through a just send an email to Jay Bass Blaster at BassBlaster.com and Jay will get you all set up with that. But uh, the one thing that I always remember with Lonnie Stanley is the Vibershaft spinnerbait. The, no the wedge. Doubt. The Stanley no doubt. wedge. I mean, the wedge spinnerbait in the 90s, it, it was one of those, you know, lures that, that kind of had a different look, a different appeal, uh, but it was, you know, a reinvention of the spinnerbait that had been around, you know, obviously a long time before that. But, uh, you know, he just brought innovation to, to productive lures and made them just that much more productive. And then, of course, the ribbit. Right. I, I mean, how many fish have you caught on a on a Stanley River? <laughs> exactly. We filmed Man. a whole show, a whole show on that, you know, and just in uh, California, I think. But, yeah, it's just crazy. It's a great lure, a lot of fun to fish. So so uh, just, you know, kind of sad. And even up through, I, I guess it was four or five years ago, I talked to Lonnie on the phone. He was making a new weight and he was it was like the wedge, uh, like Texas rig weight. And, and he had, you know, some new ideas. So even all the way through, you know, his age and, and still excited about bass fishing and excited to bring something new to the market, excited to make uh, it easier for people to catch fish and do fun things out there in the outdoors when bass fishing. So, man, just 
you know, obviously great guy. And, and, and thanks to Jay for writing that whole thing up, man. It was, it was, it was yeah, good stuff for sure. For sure. And speaking of uh, good stuff, you know, we talked earlier a little bit in the opening about what we think is supposed to be fall coming. And certainly it doesn't seem like that uh, right now with, with some of the air temperatures, but um, <laughs> right. the, the Bass Angler magazine new issue, Kurt is out. And, you know, we we're talking about Lonnie's uh, spinner baits and that kind of makes me think of a fall that's coming. So have you had a chance to kind of peek into that yet? I have. I, I peeked into it. Shout out again to Mark Lassane on this process. You know, I, I love the West Coast feel. I talk about that a lot out here, but you're always getting that new, fresh stuff. But the article that I really like, Mike Iconelli and the Tokyo Rig, it's something that I have not used very much, Aaron. Dude, I have. And, now, see, we had him okay. on a while back, and I'm like, okay, this is – I've got to try because I'm a student, right? I, you and I have the benefit of, of getting all of these tips just like sure. Bass Edge Nation. And uh, I went out and bought a couple of those and started catching some fish on it, and now I have a whole box of them. I mean, I'm pretty fired up about the Tokyo Rig. I need to get out there and just do more fun fishing to utilize some of these – you know, a few of these products that I haven't really dove in with yet and, and the Tokyo rigs one of them but there's a lot of other great articles in this issue Wheeler on buzz baits Tim Horton cranking Menendez Carolina rigging and of course you know just the full coverage love bass angler magazine if y'all need some more information on how to get a piece of that it's bassanglermag.com so certainly want to uh, take a peek at that. It's going to continue your improvement and just informational highway in the world of bass fishing. And Aaron, to talking about information highways, we are on the train for some solid scoop right here because we have the Bassmaster Angler of the Year coming up next. Y'all stay tuned for the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Hold on tight. Be right back. This is professional bass angler Cody Huff. This is professional angler Daryl Gleason. This is 2020 U.S. Open champion Tim Klinger. This is Bass Pro Tour angler Ish Monroe. I am FLW title champion Rusty Slusky. This is Jason Christie, BASS Elite Series champion on Bass Edge Radio. Stay tuned. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Number one angler in the BASS Elite Series for 2021 is with us today. Man, it was an exceptional season as he finished with the highest average per event finish ever recorded 
on the Elite Series. Excited to catch up with BASS Elite Series Pro Seth Fighter here on Bass Edge Radio. Thanks for coming back with us on the show, Seth. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Well, Seth's going to have a little fun here because, uh, you know, Kurt and I take a lot of pride in at the beginning of each year. We try to go through and, and try to pick out people in their rookie season who we're going to kind of place our money on. And way back when, you were that pick. And if you remember episode 204 and 294, now you're on episode 359. It has been a journey chatting and talking with you through the years. And I recall the first Bass Edge interview in March of 2015, if you can believe that, before your rookie year ever even started on the Elite Series. And uh, man, how times have progressed. Appreciate you coming back to discuss your phenomenal year on BASS Elite Series. And how has the past you know, several weeks been once you completed the 2021 Elite Series Angler of the Year achievement? Uh, it's been really, really busy. I was kind of really looking forward to this year because we've never ended a season this early. And, like, I'm a big duck hunter, and I was like, oh, it's going to be awesome. We're going to have, like, months to get my stuff ready for waterfall season and all that. I'm going to have a bunch of time to fish this fall. And yeah, after uh, the final event this year, it's been uh, pretty much go, go, go every day since. So I haven't had much of an off season yet. But it's a, it's a good problem to have. It definitely wasn't what I was expecting looking at the schedule ending in July. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been staying busy, bunch of podcasts, bunch of in-stores, photo stuff, video stuff. Yeah, good problem to have. Yeah, that is definitely a good problem to have, Seth. When you envisioned the last couple of events, you know, kind of winding the season down, they talked a lot about in the media. We saw it a lot there on Bassmaster.com. You were on edge, man. You were feeling the pressure, feeling the heat to kind of follow through with this uh, progress that you had throughout the year. Talk a little bit to us about how that affected your fishing, you know, in those last couple events. It wasn't easy. I, I remember a couple times it was uh, tough practices, made some adjustments to have that success to achieve the angler of the year. How did that whole break down for you, you know, internally, inside? Was it really difficult as it looked from a fan perspective? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of like added pressure I put on myself. We had a, a little bit of a break before those final two tournaments. So, you know, spent a lot of time thinking about it and just bad nightmare scenarios going through my head, you know, motors <laughs> blowing up, GPS is just magically switching times coming in an hour late, like <laughs> right. you know, every bad scenario, like everybody's, you talk, or like all people hang out with and fish against like, oh, you got it, it's over with and yada, 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 and it's like, in my head, it's like, I just kept making up nightmare scenarios. And sure. Was all I was thinking about was everything going wrong, and then um, I kind of, I definitely practiced different for those last two events than I, you know, probably would have been, you know, if I was just like comfortably in the classic, you know, kind of sitting in the top 30 in points and, you know, then I had to try to do what I thought would win those events. Like right. when I went to Champlain, I spent probably at least three quarters of my practice looking for smallmouth just because I knew they were the safer bet to get those 16 to 18 pound bags to have a decent finish. And then when I went to St. Lawrence, I, you know, I knew we could go to the lake this year, and it's like, if you can go to the lake, the lake's where, you know what I mean? They're just bigger yep. there. Yep. But that's, a, I don't know the exact mileage on it, but, I mean, that's got to be close to a 100-mile one-way trip, you know, plus big water, getting gas, waves. I mean, so I'd say close to the ramp. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, like, it, it just wasn't worth the risk to go, even though I knew, like, I mean, I think almost the whole top 10 came out of the lake at that event. I mean, that wasn't a surprise to anyone, but I stayed close and, you know, fished 15 minutes 
20 minutes away from the ramp and figured I could catch enough there to get the job done. So um, definitely changed how I fished. And then, yeah, I put like an extra ton of pressure on myself. And uh, definitely feeling it in the last two as far as pressure goes. You bet. That's the way you get better is to have big lofty goals and put those pressures on ourselves to do well. Seth, you know, Aaron mentioned, you know, the first time we had you here on Bass Edge, March 2015. You were going into your rookie season on the Elite Series. We had uh, the chance to, you know, kind of connect through some of the Opens events earlier in that time. And then even a little bit there uh, a few years when I was fishing the Elite Series as well. You know, your skill set has progressed, obviously, a lot since then. You've got a lot more experience. Back then, you were self-described bass bum from Minnesota. <laughs> now you're able to traverse consistent finishes throughout the country. What has significantly changed in your skill set today versus that first time we talked to you back in March 2015? Really, it's more just time down there. I mean, I guess call it time on the water, but, you know, just more experiences down south. And I mean, I have to say every year I get a little better at fishing. I think we all do, but just more mindset too. learning how to fish multi-day tournaments and then just more time on the water down south. You know, every year we fish five, six, seven tournaments down there. And, you know, when I was starting out, I had probably only fished a couple, maybe two, three tournaments in the south total prior to then. So it's, it's just different from where I grew up fishing up north. And it's all really just from, you know, time on the water down there. Well, Seth, you bring up about fishing multi-day tournaments. What do you think some of the differences are in, in fishing a multi-day tournament versus a one or a two-day tournament? Well, most of my experience fishing, you know, single-day tournaments is up north. I feel like uh, up north, it's more spot fishing, and I feel like down south, it's more pattern fishing. Maybe that's just because we were more fishing in the spring down there versus in the summer. And up home, we fish in the summer all the time. But it seemed like I wanted to have, like, a really, really good practice fishing, you know, a single-day event and then have a game plan, like a milk run, go through it. And, I mean, obviously catch everything you possibly can, no laying off anything. It's the one-day tournament. And then it seems like with multi-day tournaments, I'd rather have a mediocre practice, just enough to kind of clue me into the right area of the you know, lake or river, reservoir, whatever, that I want to fish my time. And then multi-day tournaments, I feel like it's more just kind of fishing with an open mind. Because every day is going to be a little different, regardless of what time of year or where you're at. I think it's better to just kind of have an area you like and, you know, just kind of feel out each day as it comes versus being real set in stone. Like, we're going here, throwing this, and, like, going there, throwing that. And it seems like multi-day tournaments, there's a lot of times I'll catch fish on, you know, something I hadn't even thrown in practice or had a bite on in practice, just something I had tied on just because something kind of looked right or felt right and um, got fish doing that, even though I didn't see it in practice, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, present day, here we are, beginning of September 2021. If you're talking to Seth Fighter of 2015 as you're approaching your rookie season, this could also be applicable to current anglers in the AAA kind of level. What advice would you give yourself and, and you wish you would have kind of latched on to that other anglers can now latch on to as they're looking to kind of improve their skill set? Well, I'll tell you the biggest problem I made. I don't know the right advice to give a guy because I think a lot of that stuff, things have to happen a certain way. Like, uh, I started catching them a lot better when I fished more like I did fishing locally and a little more aggressive and really, like, set really high goals and try to accomplish them. Like, when I first got in, I was, like, my target was 50th place every tournament just because I really needed the money to make it and uh, 50th place pay 10 grand, you know, so set really low goals and seems like anytime you set a goal, you're going to miss, so... 
Um, you aim for 50 at the end of 80th, and you aim for, you know, a top 10 or a win, and you end up 25th. So definitely set your goals higher and fish more aggressively because I, I think with, when you get to that level, you can't really play it as safe. Seems like the Opens is like a better place to, uh, you know, kind of play it safe, get your limits, and do that stuff just because you can't have a bad day there. And when you get to the Elite Series, it's like a bunch of guys just swinging for the fence, and you got to fish that way just to have mediocre finishes. And I had a big lack of confidence, too, when I started. I was, you know, real intimidated and nervous. You know, you're lining up, pulling up against, you know, all the guys you've idolized growing up. Getting over that, and I don't know the right way to word it for good advice, but that's definitely, like, the main problems I had when I started fishing pro-level stuff. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I really like how, you know, it seems your focus of goals has completely adjusted, and and you feel like that's made a a huge difference for you. Uh, You talk about, you know, some of the financial risk and and struggles that we all have when we're starting in this sport, because it is expensive, and it's hard to get sponsorship support early in your career, even if you've done well on opens events you know just making the elite series doesn't mean that you're going to have that sponsor support i remember even when you started your career you had a uh kind of a local fundraising campaign so that you could kind of start that process. And uh, just like fishing is a little bit different for everybody, how you get that start in the financial sense to make a go at this whole thing is a little different for everybody. And then having that big hit or that momentum turn like you did, it seemed like it was the Wisconsin event on the Mississippi River where you made that AOI championship and then went on to win that AOI championship event up there in Minnesota was the big turning point for you. Did you feel like through that turning point process you actually felt that difference from your first couple years on the elite series versus these last four or five and explaining that or trying to i guess you know decipher that like aaron was mentioning two other anglers coming up when you have that turning point do you have any advice for them of how to keep that momentum going in the right direction I don't know if that's anything you can really try to do. That's what it takes, though, is having that breakthrough. Because like you said, when you get on the Elite Series, that's not really enough to get much for sponsors, or at least the money it requires to do this. It's tough to figure out. I guess every angler is kind of going to have to weave and dodge their own adversity in order to get yeah. to that successful, the light at the yeah. end of the tunnel. I mean, yeah, definitely everything changed right there at Wisconsin. That was just kind of a mindset switch for me. And then, but fortunate enough to keep it rolling. I don't, I don't know how you plan to do that, but yeah, I mean, there, it seems like everybody that, you know, the guys that are real successful have that, you know, kind of breakthrough event. You know, manage to stay relevant every Let's year talk- after that. That's hard to do, and I don't know how you do it, but I've been lucky enough to have that happen. You, you, <laughs> you've definitely made it happen, man. I tell you what, you know, the media this year talked also a lot about some difficult practices that you had and and you expressed that and then you were able to turn it around or make a change in an event kind of fish freely as you mentioned earlier in the interview you know you think about that from uh you know try to dissect it a little bit you've got three days of practice the event could be two days if you don't make the cut three days if you make the cut obviously four days if you make championship sunday but how do you explain or can you try to help you know anglers understand that process because if you really look at three days of practice and then you didn't have a great practice or any angler doesn't have a great practice we all don't have good practice sometimes we have great practices and the tournament sucks 
right? So it can go both ways. Yeah. But um, when you're out there for three days of practice, you don't kind of run into what you're looking for or adjustments that you make don't seem to find that pathway to the light. How do you keep adjusting and then finally finding it in the event? Is it just a fact of eventually you're going to fall onto something? Or is, do you think that you're seeing things in practice that lead you to finally hit the nail on the head. Yeah, I think that's it. It's just every day you're on the water, it's just you're just a little more dialed in. And when you practice, you know, a lot of these places, places you've never been, or, you know, a whole year later, it seems like every time you go back to a place, it's a lot different. Like every year you go there, it's almost a new lake. Some stuff stays the same, but, you know, I feel like the first day you get there, you're really just kind of feeling it out, you know, seeing, just taking notes on simple things like water color. And, you know, that's where them gut instincts start firing. You know, you see certain water color and certain baits start popping in your head out of fish and just kind of feel all the lakes setting up and you know seems like anytime you know the first day you go there you're just really starting to just feel the lake out usually don't really catch a lot of fish the first day of practice and you know you might catch a couple and you start thinking about them and then you know a day and another day of practice you start kind of putting stuff together but you really haven't like had like five big bites in a day of practice you know what i mean right. and then the tournament comes those days of practice have kind of just got you in the right areas and then giving you ideas and you know you're probably going to start with what was best in practice but sitting there the night after the last day of practice and like oh this looked kind of right for that i haven't really thrown it or you know didn't have the right rod set up or didn't have something in the rod box with that on and like bring it up and tie it on and you know what i mean like every day every hour you're out there you're just getting more pieces to the puzzle so like i, I think i learned the most about the lake in like the first two days of the tournament versus practice like practice i'm kind of just gathering it all in looking at a lot of different water and just kind of making mental notes on what i see where and then you know kind of try to feel the day out as the tournament comes just kind of keep an open mind to, you know, oh, I ran by some couple laydowns on that one bank that looked pretty good and didn't fish them or whatever. And you're running down a place where you had caught them and then you see a little piece of wood and you throw it and catch one. And it's like, oh, yeah, I remember those couple laydowns right around the corner, like real juicy, roll in there and catch a couple, just, just stuff like that. It's just, like I said, dude, every day, every hour you're there, you're getting a few more pieces of the puzzle. So your decisions just get a little better the longer you're on the water there versus trying to be like super dialed in day one of practice and then like trying to force that. I mean, you're seven, at least five days, if not seven days on the water. It's, there's no way anything's going to stay exactly the same. And I feel like if you get more dialed in at the early side of practice, you're probably on something that's fading versus something you might find halfway through day three of practice is probably something that's uh, maybe more emerging than disappearing. Yeah, makes good sense, man. That's great insight. Good stuff. Guys, let's pause for a quick break in the action. We're going to power pull down through this break. We'll be right back with BASS Elite Series Angler of the Year, Seth Fighter on Bass Edge Radio. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge is presented in part by Mercury Marine, returning with BASS Elite Series Angler of the Year, Seth Fighter in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil high-performance marine products. Be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping on all Lucas products. It's... 
works. Well, Seth, that first part of today's interview, you know, kind of diving into that mental aspect, your thought processes on different ways to attack the world of competitive angling. Maybe a little bit more easier to understand is tips and tactics on how to catch bass from a physical perspective, cast and wind. And, you know, COVID last year rescheduled a lot of events to the fall time. We haven't had big time fall fishing like we did in 2020. Something, as I said, typically we don't see. What did you learn most about fall fishing last year that anglers can take forward this September and October to kind of have more success in the fall on southern fisheries? The thing I, I noticed most is that you have to be mentally tough for fishing in the fall down south because you're really looking at a scenario where you might be getting five, four, five, six bites a day. So just keeping your head in the game is one of the biggest things. And then um, I, I think at that time of the year, fish have you know, they're really not wanting to bite, and they've seen every bait, and they're just, you know, the water's hot. It's just nothing's really going on, and I, I've noticed it. Um, you know, I do best on reaction baits. I, I really love flipping, jig fishing, Texas rig fishing, but it seems like when it comes to that, you know, those end of those dog days, early fall down south, that they're pretty well straight grinders. And, you know, traditional southern lake with no grass in it, I think you have to fish reaction bait and just fish really just a mindset, just full-on grind. You know, crankbait and chatterbait and fish and shallow. I think the deep ones are really done. And there's just always a population of fish that live shallow. It might not be the majority of the fish in the lake, but I feel like those are the ones you can catch. And if you get in the mindset where you're fishing for four to six bites a day and really lock in a chatterbait or a, a crankbait in your hand, you can drag it, you know, get it in front of enough fish and make them react that you can you know end up having a good tournament so is it safe to say seth that uh here kind of in this early part of september your depth zone is going to be more on the shallow side as uh the water begins to cool down absolutely yeah i mean there's a lot of fish out deep that have you know been out there since july and august just living out there but i think there's a larger population out deep but i think there's more catchable fish on the bank that makes sense yeah, absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. You know, how about even finesse approach? If you were to target some offshore fish, do you feel like you've got to finesse them or can you still catch them on reaction baits similar to like what you're talking about doing up shallow, deep cranking, you know, that kind of stuff? Or do you feel like if you are on an offshore approach, you've got to downsize because as you mentioned earlier, those fish have seen every freaking lure in the box. <laughs> There's definitely some fish that will still be caught on, on the big stuff. It won't be like it is early, but honestly, I, I would not even mess with it. So, like, me personally, I would not even fish for those fish. But, yeah, I mean, it's going to be opposite ends of the spectrum. It's either going to be burning a plug through them as fast as you can or dead sticking a Ned rig on six or eight-pound line and, like, just not even moving it. You know what I mean? Those That's going to be how you're going to catch those offshore fish this late in the year. It's, it's not going to be, you know, dragging a 10-inch worm at a fair pace. It's going to be either, like, the hardest reaction, jerking a spoon, or, like I said, the most finesse thing you can throw, like a little three-inch DRD on the little light head and light line, you know. But honestly, I would just 
they won't even cross my brain. <laughs> right, right. It's not not on not on the game plan. I hear you. What about yeah, let's yeah, let's change? Just, they're too hard to catch. Right. How about we change geographic zones? We get back up in your home state, say of like Minnesota, you know, Michigan, up in those northern states, falls a little bit more progressed. You start maybe getting that first cold front, you know, this time of year, the early September. Let's throw you on a lake like I think it's your home lake, Minnetonka. It used to be your home lake before you started running around everywhere, right? Minnetonka, good grass lake dock fishery how are you going to attack that this time of year do you see the same behavioral patterns from down south as you will see up north in that geographic region the fall up north is way different it fishes really good you know we got kind of a short season and falls really short up north i mean maybe less than a month in the reality of like from end of summer to the time fishing's over maybe a little longer but like on a lake like tonka like the first frost of the year the day after that immediately like it seems like almost every bass in the lake goes fairly shallow and starts biting like i think they know winter's coming they know they have to eat as much as they can before they go about dormant so i feel like down south the the fall is like way more drawn out i don't think they really start fighting good till what i would consider winter down there obviously a little different than our winter up here but yeah a lake like tonka the first couple cold nights the fish go shallow and they really start biting i could go there with probably two rods um they'd both have a jig on them one would be a little heavier for the grass and then you know maybe a half ounce one for the boat docks but they run to the bank and get in the shallow mill foil and boat docks get really good and i mean that's all i would do flip a jig and everything i came across not so much like lock into one just kind of more like go down the bank, lock a jig in my hand and flip it at everything I see, you know. Might be a little lay down or a clump of pads or some milfoil in between docks and docks are obviously good. It's really more of a trigger here than anything, but we never really have like real off times where it's really hard to get bites during the summer up here. Do you feel like this early... It definitely triggers though. Right? Do you feel like this beginning of September time frame that they're already kind of starting to transition even though obviously you haven't had that first frost yet? Do you see some change Changes from summer to kind of a fallish transition this early in the fall? Uh, not a whole lot, no. I mean, everything's kind of still. That's the other thing up north. The transitions are a lot faster than they are down south. I feel like down south it's real slow and progressive, and right. you can kind of like follow fish along. But it's kind of the same deal in the spring. Like, our ice will come off our lakes. It's thick ice, so it gets pretty warm before it actually gets off. And you get go out there on a lake, like, a day or two after the ice comes off the lake and every pass is in 12 inches of water. Like, yeah, it's I, like that. I, I think it's the same way in the fall, like one or two cold nights and everything goes from summer mode, like boom, like fall, like doing the deal. I remember actually in that March interview we did, you thought that, you know, the fish are that shallow, even while the ice is still over their heads, they're, they're already starting to migrate. And as soon as the freaking water breaks, they're already there because they've maybe been there for a little while. It was super interesting. I remember that part of the interview. Yeah. Well, Seth, you alluded to it at the beginning that your preference is to be uh, somewhat chasing waterfowl as the temperatures drop. One question that I do have, do you think that being ASS can do you know something different or how can they continue or enhance the, you know the excitement of tournament bass fishing for the fans basically I guess any changes that you would like to see in the sport moving forward um I think they're doing a real good job on the elite level I, I think where I'd like to see them make some improvements would be at the the open level there's a lot of guys 
pretty committed to doing those and it'd be cool if they just made a bigger you know made them bigger amount of boats more money in them and maybe covered them a little better and kind of made a, a big deal out of them because there's going to be some guys you know some pretty good fishermen that are and they're good tournaments too you know doing two three year stints on the opens and i think there they could make that minor league stuff a lot cooler so you think there's some room in between the Opens and the Elite Series? I remember we've talked about this, not us in, in general, but in Bass Edge and just throughout the industry, that the jump between the Opens and the Elite Series is, is significant. You, you made that jump. You saw the significance and difference between the two. Do you think that there's room for a series between the Elites and the Opens? Or do you think the Opens should just... Um, there could be, yeah. I think yeah. they should just make the Opens level, you know. To make it like feasible where you could make money fishing it, because there's not really any money in the opens, especially if you're traveling around doing all of them. I mean, obviously, it's more of right. just a qualifier, you know. It's like finish high in the points, go to the elite series, win one, go to the classic. And I don't know what the entry fees and payout and stuff is now. Probably a little better than when I was fishing it, but I think you know you paid 1,200 bucks to fish an open, and you know if you got a check, they're kind of all the same with the way they structure payout. It was like 2,500 to three grand. I mean, there's just there's no money to be had in the opens. Obviously, if you win one, you're gonna get paid and fish the classic. But it'd be cool to see it where if it, you know it was just cashing checks in it, where you know in that five to nine thousand range, and just kind of make a maybe a bigger entry fee on it, and do a little better coverage. And I think you can make it that kind of in between what the opens are now with the elite series is that uh, you know guys could fish them and you know yeah. make some money doing it that's a great concept is that just seth fighter just speaking off the cuff or do you think bass has that as a vision for the opens in the future uh no that's just me thinking out loud uh, i don't know what their plans are at the opens or if they're ever going to do that um right right and at the same time too maybe there's a side to it where it's like maybe they do got to keep it kind of I mean, if you want to make more you got to pay more you know what i mean and it's still yeah, to the point yeah. where uh you know a blue collar guy could do three opens and afford it and only be gone for three weeks and make it feasible for an average guy to do it. That is the problem if you do, you know, pump it up to four or five grand entry fees, you know, where you're doing six or nine of them. I mean, a guy working a job can't do that, you know. So it, I mean, there's pros and cons on both sides. But so yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe there needs to be a one in between the opens and the elite. But, uh, I think no, it's no, a great right, concept. Right. I, I really yeah. like it. I agree with you. It's hard to get out there in, in either of those AAA series, whether you're you know interested in MLF or interested in bass at Toyota, open division level. There's a lot of expenditures, and it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to go out and compete in those events, kind of test your skills against you know that caliber of angler, guys that are super committed to the sport. Like you said, there's people fishing all nine opens and people fishing a lot of Toyota events. But um, I feel like you're on to something there, man. I feel like there's somewhere in the middle, you know, I don't know, four or five grand, like you say, could be a little too much for the blue collar guy. But if you bump it to right now, the opens are eighteen hundred. I think the Toyotas are 17. Oh, okay. But if you bumped it to 2,500 bucks, uh, you know, per event, had a little bit better payout there, you know, that kind of deal. Yeah, I, I see it, man. I see some. I, I like your thought process there. I, I think there always has to be a little bit of adjustment out there and what the organizations do, just to kind of test what the consumer level is. Obviously, participation in the sport goes up and down based on economics. Shoot, I remember back in uh, I think it was 2009, 2000. 
2010, they couldn't even fill an elite series field, right? I mean, they were trying to have, you know, 110 anglers at the time, and there was like 93 or 90 some some anglers that were able to make the jump just because of uh, the economic state of the U.S. at the time. It's interesting how that yeah. stuff fluctuates, but uh, good stuff. Seth got a listener question on tap for you getting down to the end of the interview here but this section of the interview is brought to us by nitro performance bass boats this question came through our bass edge instagram account by adam mattingly adam asks the last few times fishing with a buddy i have gotten my butt kicked by him fishing finesse tactics like a Ned Rig or a drop shot. I'm a diehard power fisherman at heart, but it seems like more times than not nowadays, finesse stuff is what's catching the fish. Is power fishing become a thing of the past and fishing pressure making finesse presentations a must now? Uh, absolutely not. I mean, I just about power fished all season this year. I did catch a few fish finesse fishing when we got up north, but the, you know, seven tournaments we had down south, I did not pull out a spinning rod until we went to Champlain. Power fished all year. I think it's just kind of a different mindset. I think it kind of really has a lot to do with the pace you're fishing. Like, I think a lot of the guys, if, if you're going to like camp on a point or, you know, fish down a bank really slow, obviously finesse fishing is going to get you some more bites. I think when you power fish, you need to power a trolling motor too. You know what I mean? And, you're not going to power fish at a slow pace. So I think you really got to match your pace just because that, that's the thing about power fishing. You're looking for dumb ones, active ones, whatever you want to call them. You know, if you're, if you got that trolling motor on a hundred and you're swimming a jig, you're flipping or spinner baiting or whatever. I mean, just hitting all the high percentage stuff, you're going to run into five dumb ones. If you spend, you know, an hour with your trolling motor on three creeping down, you know, a big stretch of bank, that's where your finesse fishing is going to shine. Obviously, you'll catch more fish. You're going by fish when you're power fishing, but that's not the problem with it. You know, it's, you just got to keep that pace going so that you're going to run into five dumb ones every day. If you power fish, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. He's probably fishing a little too slow and that's why his buddy's kicking his butt on a net rig. (laughs) Crank the trawler up. That rig don't hit the bottom. Yeah. Seth, do you think there's uh, created some, pardon the pun, you know, muddied the waters a little bit because of, you know, the introduction of the MLF format on catching numbers of fish versus going after the five big bites of the traditional tournaments that we've seen? Because obviously, I, I don't know if you would agree, but those are can be two different tactics that you have to employ. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, if you fish an MLF format, spinning rod's your best friend. I mean, two two-pounders weighs as much as a four-pounder, so there's... There's really no sense in even trying to catch big ones, but that's just, I don't know, a weird game, man. Yeah, I loved your comment. Power no, nothing I went wrong to do. I mean, I just, yeah, like, you know, it's a totally different mindset. I've done my whole life fishing for five-pack ones, you know, from club tournaments, team tournaments. It's just a whole different mindset to catch as much weight as you can. Like, I would have a net rig, a drop shot, and a wacky stickworm, like, mandatory on my deck every single day day of my <laughs> life if I fished that format, you know what I mean? Like I yeah. said, I didn't pull out a spinning rod. I got to Champlain this year. Like, it's just a way different mindset and one I just 
never experienced, you know. Yeah, Aaron, I, I think Aaron's on to something about muddying the waters as far as that. I think uh, anglers see more finesse tactics, not just because, you know, the weight size and all that kind of stuff, but just in general, people wanting to get bites. And, and what Seth is doing with the power fishing and, and uh, having that success, winning the AOI, obviously, mostly power fishing this year is because his mindset is different. You know, his his thought process of how to attack a lake is different than maybe, you know, even throwing a Ned rig or a drop shot to see if he can get a bite. He's not even tossing it out there nine out of ten times unless he's probably fishing for brownfish. Right, Seth? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, just, yeah. I feel like if I get six bites on a jig, they're going to weigh twice as much as if I catch 30 on a Ned rig. You know what I mean? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's I great think, stuff. Tough question to answer, but uh, I think you did a great job. Yeah, I think the nugget there was uh, that I took. Power fishing means power trolling motor. That is a quote that I wrote down, Seth. We'll, we'll get you a T-shirt made up of that. Yeah, so. you got you to match your pace. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So, Seth, again, thank you for answering Adam's question. Adam, one more thing that we need from you, and that is to log on to BassEdge.com. Click the Claim Your Prize tab. Fill out the information. Let us know that you heard Seth answer your question right here on Episode 350 and we will get the Bass Edge gift sent out directly to you. And uh, all Bass Edge listeners, you can go right to the same website Aaron just mentioned. Click the Ask the Pros tab. Submit your question to us and uh, we'll pick a few questions every episode one or two to be heard out here on the show and if so chosen Aaron's going to send you a gift just like he will Adam. So There you go. Seth, uh, thanks again for being on another episode of Bass Edge Radio, your third time uh, here on the show and certainly it is uh, truly a pleasure to see how you have progressed and your skill set improved and certainly your bank account increased which is always the main goal I think from your side of the table. Any closing thoughts before we close down oh no thanks for having me appreciate it boys and uh yeah we'll do it again yes uh thanks again for taking time to be on the episode best of luck next year uh hopefully you can back up that aoy there's not many people done that two times in a row i don't know if it's ever happened (laughs) Uh, it'd be cool but yeah very unlikely Ah, well, you, I know you're going to give it your best, man. Good luck with it out there. Oh, Everyone, yeah. Bass Edge will be right back with Aaron and my concluding thoughts right after this message. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard Keel Protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare KeelGuard, SkegGuard, FlexStep Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare KeelGuard. The PowerPole Charge Marine Power Management Station is the most advanced system of its kind available on the market. It does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system all in one compact unit. The charge lets you run your boat's accessories the way you want to run them by allowing you to monitor and control your power usage through the PowerPole app. It automatically devotes power to the batteries that need it the most for maximum efficiency. The new charge from PowerPole. Power where you need it. Power how you need it. Power when you need it. 
Be at home with nature with nature-inspired art, decor, and gifts by Wild Wings at wildwings.com. Explore art prints and canvas wraps of bass, trout, walleye, muskie, and more by acclaimed artists like Mark Sassino. I primarily paint underwater scenes of game fish and usually in a fishing situation, going after prey or going after a lure or a fly. I get asked sometimes whether I like fishing better or artwork. It would be tough to give either of them up. I can't really think of a good reason to give either up, so I'm going to stick with them. Make your home, office, or cabin show off your passion for angling. Visit wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge and sign up for an exclusive offer to Bass Edge listeners of 10% off your next order. Give something special to your loved one and be at home with nature. Visit wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge. That's wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge to get 10% off your next order of nature-inspired art, decor, and gifts by Wild Wings. Great to have Seth, as we mentioned, uh, third episode, and what a transformation, you know, of, of just his career and as an angler, you know, since March of dating way back, the first time that we had him on here. Absolutely, Aaron. It's been a big transition. <laughs> a big transition. Seth's a great guy. Uh, always kind of, you know, super laid back dude. I mean, it's it's uh, it's not often you see him get, you know get his feathers ruffled or, or however you might want to say something like that. And, and just his overall approach that seemingly to, to life is, is pretty chill, right? Pretty chill dude. And it was interesting to hear the anxiousness, even as he was kind of describing the anxiousness of those last couple of events, you could still hear the tension. I felt yeah, like, you know, no of what he was going through at that time to really know that he had this opportunity to win anger of the year. And, and to want to close the deal on it because he understands that it's hard to be in that position. And I'm sure Seth was going to be in this position again over his career. I mean, he's evolved into a tremendous, versatile, understanding angler throughout all of these types of competition. And confidence has a lot to do with that. He, he mentioned that. But hearing that you know, anticipation and nervousness, even now through those last couple of events, it's cool to understand what a guy goes through when he's in that position and be able to talk to him and, and kind of really get that feeling, especially after now he's won the anger of the year. Uh, says life's busy. He'd like to be doing some other things that, that, that are more of his fall hobbies and fall passions like duck hunting and, and that kind of thing. But uh, he's going to get his time later on. But, but for <laughs> now, it's, uh, it's a roller coaster for him and mostly sitting high above the hill looking down and about to, about to uh about to go screaming <laughs> yes yes and uh you know just for the, for those perhaps not familiar with the angler of the year title what that means that's that's all about consistency you know every single tournament throughout the year you finish better than than your peers in in the circuit and that speaks a lot that's a highly highly coveted trophy and uh i think one that bass anglers all aspire to get but not many can do so uh, very interesting do want to before we close down kurt update on the bass edge apparel have you uh oh yeah okay yeah, yeah. still some available online they're at BassEdge.com. We've got a nice graphic there with some great models doing some good work. And uh, every once in a while, we throw Aaron up on the social media, him modeling, and, and my, myself. I, I love wearing the Bass Edge apparel. Great hats. We've talked about it before. The Richardson 112, man, uh, they're an awesome fit. And uh, so if you're interested in in uh, some Bass Edge apparel at a, at a great price and um, 
We've got still some left available, so be sure to log into BassEdge.com. Check that stuff out. Uh, MegaWare, associate partner with the apparel as well. That's pretty cool. It is, it is. And uh, I guess, Kurt, it is time for us to kind of uh, close down. Hard to believe we will be heading into, uh, I would consider this fall transition. You and I are heading into fall transition. I don't know if that means yes. we eat more or that, you know, we're going to sleep more, what that means, but uh, we that are. That means getting... we have more pumpkin spice yeah. coffees. Yeah. That's what that means. A little, yeah. <laughs> little too early, a little too early for me, but uh, October, I, I'll, I'll be ready for that. I'll be ready for that. So anyway, all right. So we digress. Uh, been great hanging with you here on the mic and Certainly all of uh, Bass Edge Nation appreciate everyone tuning us in on whatever media platform you happen to catch us on. And be sure, check out all things Bass Edge, social media, uh, BassEdge.com, articles, videos, everything there uh, at your fingertips. So for Kurt Dove and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, I am Aaron Martin, and we look forward to seeing you September 15th right here on Bass Edge Radio. So long, everybody. Bye-bye. is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com and be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Transport Graphics.